This is the Life and Soul podcast with me, Emma Forbes. 2020 really was an eventful year. And amidst the madness, we've all had time to reflect on what we most appreciate in life. And although we're still surrounded by uncertainty, it's important to be reminded of what really matters. I'm going to be asking some fabulous guests what makes them tick, asking them what really gives them life and what really feeds their soul. So join me for some nuggets of wisdom, a moment to breathe, and above all, a good old chat over a virtual cup of tea. And I hope that by listening, you'll leave feeling a little brighter about the year ahead. Today, I'm joined by somebody. I've already got his books, The Doctor's Kitchen. Um, I brought them all the way from England to America with me. That's how much I love them. That's how excited I am to talk to Dr. Rupi Orjla. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm good, Emma. It's so heartwarming to know that my books have travelled with you across they the Atlantic. They have travelled <laughs> and they are well loved. And there's a few pages with spilt ingredients where I've done a lot of cooking. So Exactly. I, <laughs> that's what <laughs> that's you, you know it's a good cookbook, I always think. If it's got some food spilt in it, then you know. So if you ever you doubt that your friends, this is my tip to you for the new year, and they go, I love your book, I've cooked from it, flick through it. If there's no crumbs yeah. <laughs> or something in it, you've got to, you've got to question them on how much they're using it. <laughs> exactly, totally. Oh, that's great to know. So first of all, I'm thrilled to be talking to anybody in 2021 because I didn't <laughs> think in 2020 we'd ever get through. It was the longest year ever in the history of the universe. But we're we're not kind of, quite there yet it is the new year but I do feel like people will still want to reset their bodies new year new you Mm. kind of how and I thought you were the man to talk to about how we can sort of take control I guess of our health we can't control anything else but can we control our own health a little bit yeah absolutely I mean my bias I guess as uh, a, a general practitioner, as someone who works in A&E, and as someone who is doing a master's in nutritional medicine is obviously what you choose to put on your plate. I think it's a very good sort of gateway drug towards lifestyle medicine and looking after ourselves. It's something we do two to three times a day. It's something that most people see as you know, something quite actionable and something that gives that immediacy effect, which is kind of what we, we all like these days. But there are so many other features of improving our lifestyle that improving what we put in our plates actually gives us access to and gets us thinking about so from a nutrition point of view which is kind of where i start when i when i talk to people colleagues and patients alike the the five kind of core principles that have rippled through all my books are more plants lots of color fiber quality fat eating in time and those sorts of principles kind of go across different cultures. You don't need to eat a Mediterranean flavored plate to still have the benefits of what a Mediterranean style diet provides, which are anti-inflammatory are, you know, number of different studies have demonstrated an improvement in terms of your risk against things like cancer, diabetes, high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, et cetera. Um, And what I try and do is try and, enlight people's taste buds and and provide people with the permission that you can actually have flavor as well as functional food particularly with with plant-based diets which Mm. i think when when everybody first started talking about that there's so much stigma attached to it if you said you're on a plant-based diet people genuinely just thought you're being faddy and like yeah yeah Yeah. whatever but i actually do think i hear a lot of doctors a lot of people across the board in medical fields talking about eating as you say eating the rainbow plant-based where you can 
adding in the protein if you really want to, but, but, but a good quality protein, uh, you know, an organic grass-fed beef, if it's that or whatever it is. But I think plant-based is getting a better name. I think people realize now that you can actually make delicious, delicious things with a plant-based diet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all my books are plant-focused. So even though I eat a predominantly plant-based diet, probably in the region of 80 to 90%, I still include some meat products, some fish products, some uh, dairy products, because, you know, you can eat a varied diet, one that includes animal products and still lead a healthier lifestyle. We don't all need to go vegan or vegetarian to get and attain some of those benefits that were demonstrated in a number of studies. So it's kind of giving everyone permission to, yes, increase your plants, but you don't need to be as restrictive as perhaps yeah. you might have heard on the internet. No, that's that's what I am. I'm sort of 80% plant-based and then I add in a bit of fish. Actually, not so much the meat, but the fish I do I do have if I find good fish. And also just in, in order to have, not that it mattered in 2020, maybe it won't matter 2021, but like if you went to somebody's house, you just weren't such a an awkward guest. If you just, yeah. you know, occasionally ate something else, somebody would be like, Emma's coming. Oh God, yeah, it's got to be plant-based. It's got to be this, it's got to be that. But now it's a little bit better. But you you talk about the essential ingredients and, and you've got like 10 ingredients, which I'm going to list off because they're, they're definitely in my cupboard and they're such an easy thing for everybody to have. It's, it's turmeric, garlic, ginger, sumac, cumin, cinnamon, paprika, basil, rosemary, and thyme. You say those yeah. are the 10 kind of key, key anti-inflammatory, but also hugely flavorful things to just have in our cupboards. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I tend to use those spices and herbs in most of my cooking and you'd be surprised at the number of different benefits that you'll find from those spices individually, but also the number of different types of foods and and recipes you can create from those. Some people might not have heard of, including sumac, for example. Well, sumac, I'd never, I had never heard of actually till lockdown. Sumac, I discovered in lockdown. Once I discovered it, everybody had a lot of dishes with sumac in it. It's delicious. (laughs) It's hard to describe, but it just, trust me, it's it's a good one to put in your cupboard. (laughs) It's a gorgeous, vibrant, burgundy color that comes from the Rus plant, which you'll find in um, Middle Eastern areas. And it's got a really high anti-inflammatory index in terms of uh, when you compare it to cinnamon and clove. But also it gives this like lemony tang to the, the dish. So I tend to use in everything from baked eggs to uh, green vegetables to sides. I sprinkle it on the, on the side as well. And in the Middle East, they kind of use it almost like um, salt. So yes, yeah, so I was going to use it like an, yeah, a different, like a, in a little pot at the side of a dish. Yeah, sprinkle it. Oh, exactly. So good. It's amazing. And so, you know, the, the best thing I can say to people is find a number of different spices that you absolutely love. Those are my, my 10 key ones for my recipes. But try and use at least two or three every mealtime because that combination, that synergy of spices also has a, a, a cumulative effect as well on the benefits. No, I, I mean, I love it. It's sort of using food as, as medicine, you know, what, and I've always been a believer that what you put in is what you, you get out in your body. And I, I was going to ask you, because obviously I know, you know, your GP and I know that you, you obviously worked in A&E during COVID. Mm. And I guess it's a bit controversial, but I'm in America and, and there's, there's a huge obesity problem in America and junk yeah. food is, 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 you know, I'm not being controversial saying that. It's a big issue in America, mm. literally. And I think that the... I, I sort of, you know, being somebody non-medical, but very interested in it, I was watching it from afar and I did watch the fact that, you know, they, there was a sort of consistency in people lacking in vitamin D and vitamin A and things when they were tested during COVID. And that 
led me as an as a layman to believe that people's diets were just not nutritionally good enough. And, and would you feel that that was something that you not that you saw when you were in A&E, but that there's a, there's a type of person who perhaps doesn't isn't like they're not knowledgeable enough yet to know. Like so there was a, a fascinating I can't remember who he was, but there was one journalist I watched right at the height of it. And he said, you know, what we should be doing is educating people like, mm. yes, this virus is out of control, but we should be doing programs, educating people on just how to just eat better during this time, like eat yeah. just a little bit better. And I know it's not really easy for, for everybody to find it. But another thing of COVID, I think it did make people shop local. Mm. and shop fresh because they had to we couldn't just go out and buy things like that what do you think yeah i mean th there's a number of different points that i'd love to pick up on so for sure obesity and comorbidities give us uh more risk of having worse outcomes with covid if you are unlucky enough to get it and, yeah. and also increases your vulnerability to the the, the virus as well in terms of the, the likelihood of you catching it as well. And that was borne out by the number of people that we saw coming to any, but also across the UK population, as is the same with the US. Obesity yeah. is definitely a risk factor, as is um, potentially low vitamin D, although low vitamin D is also a marker of poor lifestyle in general, and actually is correlated with educational attainment and overall well-being scores as well. So you, you, your likelihood of, of a number of different conditions. I think also it's heightened to a lot of people that just how vulnerable we are as human beings and also the epidemic, which far superseded COVID in the first place, which is obesity and poor lifestyles and nutritionally deplete diets. We can talk about why people have worse diets than others. A lot of people think it is because of the, the types of foods that we're putting into the food system. I believe that. I also think it's a marker of um, poverty and actually how the difference in those who are uh, well off and actually educated enough to make those decisions and have the financial capacity to do so is the gap between that and those who are on the poverty line is widening massively. In the UK alone, you know, we have over 4 million people using food banks and that was before COVID. And I don't yeah. actually know what the up-to-date numbers are. So one of the things that, I've been committed to doing with the nonprofit that I started, Coloring Medicine UK, which is teaching medical students how to cook as well as the foundation of nutrition, is actually talking to them about food insecurity and actually giving them the permission as, as well as the tools to appropriately discuss food insecurity with patients that they, they might be in, in front of in clinical scenarios. So that there are so many things that COVID has brought to our attention and hopefully going into 2021 we can be a lot more compassionate with with why those things actually occur and actually oh, I think, how to overcome it yeah I mean I think that the poverty and the the hunger I think I mean particularly here in New York because my, my daughter made masks during COVID and she she made ten thousand dollars for um, Food Bank New York oh, so wow. we got quite involved just in terms of just seeing the enormity of of that and also that actually the meals were costing a dollar. So you, you can, and they were, they were good, well-balanced meals. So, so you're right, there is a connection with poverty. There's also this thing that in order to make a good meal, it has to be super expensive and, mm. and it doesn't. You can make something mm. super nutritious, you can make it last. 
And I think it's brilliant what you're doing with the medical students, because I'm guessing through no fault of their own, and also because I've watched a lot of Grey's Anatomy, which is where I get a lot of my information from on this, is that medical students don't have the best diet because of the diets, because of the hours you're working, you're grabbing a sandwich, you're eating at random times. So I guess they don't have the time to... Yeah, to, to, to think about it, do they? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I've, I've done a few wellness um, talks actually for my own department, emergency department, and for the Royal College. And uh, it, it's quite amazing how little we know about nutrition. A, we're not taught it at medical school. And B, you're right, when you're working shifts, and it's not just the doctors, it's the admin staff, it's the nurses, yeah. it's anyone who works in healthcare, you don't have the means to get the most nutritionally dense uh, meals all the time or you know the, the environment that we we actually work in is, is is pretty terrible i'm not too sure about american hospitals i'm pretty sure it's the same I'm as pretty as sure the ones probably... in the uk <laughs> yeah, but yeah well, i mean we only have like convenience stores and you know with this yeah. little trolley that goes around our any department and it's just selling like crisps and chocolates and it was really sweet here where I where I live. I, there's a there's a local hospital and it's obviously not a huge hospital. And during COVID, there were all these sweet, sweet people that were doing like snacks for the doctors and they deliver them every day. And we got an email saying, if you want to donate snacks, you can. But people were like making healthy cookies and, and taking coffees. And it was actually it was, you know, that bit of the community. And in a way, I guess it brought back. Another, because we have to look at the good in COVID. I keep trying to really kind of go, what were the good bits? The good bits yeah. were that I guess it brought back family meals. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody had got to that point where I think a lot of people's households were, you know, people could sort of, somebody could send off for something. Somebody else is having pizza. Somebody's eating on the run. Somebody's eating in front of the TV. And it brought back the time yeah. to cook. It brought yeah. back the time to sit and the time to actually really enjoy something. Because right in the beginning of lockdown, you know, it was quite hard to go out and get food. So you actually yeah. felt quite in a sense of achievement when I'd sort of gone out and I'd be like, today I've got the most amazing cans. And I'd yeah. be like, this is, <laughs> this is exciting. And so I think maybe it's bringing back more of an awareness, but I still strongly believe my kids are, you know, obviously older and through university now, but when they were at school, I was passionate that they learned about food. And I kept going into the schools going, they don't do home economics, like home mm. economics in that way. They're not learning about things. And I'll never forget my daughter's school saying, we're going to start cookery lessons. I went, oh my God, that's brilliant. That's amazing. What do I need to get for her? Does she need this? They're like, no, 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 we provide everything. I'm like, you provide everything. That's incredible. You know, <laughs> and I picked her up on the day of cookery and she, and she came out. I am not joking. She'd made a cheese sandwich. <laughs> Oh, with God. the crusts off right so I, put, I ran the oh, school no. and I went I went to be fair I said that on white bread right like just yeah. like the and so I rang the school and I said I'm not have I missed the element of cookery and of course because of health and safety now oh they're not allowed anything raw they weren't really allowed a knife people had food allergies nut allergies they couldn't have anything that had touched a so I was like wow we're, we're yeah. a little bit it's sad. It really yeah. saddened me because I was like, I don't think really classified cheese sandwich is cookery. Let's be yeah. honest. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, th I think we've definitely lost touch with the art of cooking and the family element of cooking. You know, I always say the food that you put on the table as, is as important as how you enjoy it and who you enjoy the food with, you know, because they all have these intangible benefits. But it's quite upsetting to, to know that our kids still aren't being taught proper food education. It's yeah. in the curricula, 
it is mandated, but it's just not something that's been brought to, you know, the forefront of the curriculum. It really should, as other things should be, like logic and financial literacy, yeah. all these really practical things that we need to know as adults. But I don't think I was taught this at, at school. And I went to a good school, you know, and, you know, and ended up going to medical school and the rest of it. But I don't think I was taught some basics that I'm only learning now in my 30s which is really weird. And I, I know that, you know, when I eventually have kids, I'm definitely going to be a bit more vocal about what I feel I was lacking in during my education, my formative years, because I think that yeah. would have put me in better stead now. Well, I, I learned to cook through my mum, you know, and, that, and that's yeah. how lots yeah. of generations used to cook, but my mum taught me to cook. Mm. I've taught my kids how to cook. You know, arguably my daughter is a much better cook as a result than me. And the way I enticed my son as I said girls are going to be really attracted to a guy that can cook the meal he was like okay I said I'm going to teach you the core basics just so you can impress her so there are ways to like get your you know get those generations interested you've just got to find the right angles to 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 know what to do I guess because otherwise we are all going to be just not putting ourselves in that best way in order to deal with things that come left field like COVID-19 that just sort of came in and just you know made us all realize so many mm. things and I, I was you know looking back in my research over you you obviously you, you got more into the the food thing it seems from when you had your own illnesses to deal with that gave mm. you an extra interest and I was really fascinated by that not only because you had um, arterial fibrillation which my mother has but the, the things that I didn't really think would necessarily be connected with food yeah but it but it was can you explain a bit more about that it's funny that you taught your kids how to cook because that's exactly how I learned how to cook before I went to medical school my mum taught me three recipes one of which was a Thai lemongrass curry yeah and uh, I, I remember going to medical school and people thought I was this amazing cook because I could make this See? curry and so <laughs> I had to like keep up the pretense of being this big cook by learning all these other recipes so that was my entry into into food but then food as medicine and actually nutritional medicine and, and what I talk about now what I study that that didn't come until I qualified as a junior doctor I was three months into the job and I started suffering with palpitations, which were diagnosed as atrial fibrillation, which for the listeners is where your heart beats irregularly, and in my case, very fast. So I remember vividly, I was working late shift. It was in Essex, a big department just outside of London. And it was Sunday and my heart just started beating really, really fast. And I, I remember vividly speaking to my boss and I said to her, would you mind feeling my pulse? I feel like I'm going a little bit fast. And literally within 30 minutes, Clothes taken off, hospital gown put on, hooked up to a cardiac monitor, right next to a patient I'd been seeing earlier that day as well. Wow. She was really confused as to why, <laughs> you know, her doctor was next to her. And I was diagnosed right there and there. And I thought that was going to be like a one-off episode, but I started having these episodes two to three times a week, lasting anywhere between 24, 36 hours. And that was the start of my journey as a patient instead of being a doctor. And I understood the frustrations of being a patient because I was a 24-year-old, no pre-existing medical problems, no reason why I should be having cardiac issues. I had all the investigations you can imagine, echocardiogram, cardiac MRI, electrophysiology studies. I was going to have an ablation, which is where you put a guide wire into the heart and you burn an area around the pulmonary vein to stop the electrical activity. But my mum, again, my mum features quite a bit in my story, was the one that said, you really need to look at your diet and, and your lifestyle before you allow someone to, to do this procedure. 
And so that was the start of me doing research and looking into, okay, how do I optimize my diet? And it went through the principles of what I talked about earlier, just improving fiber, looking after your gut microbiota, that population of microbes that live in and around your body, but largely in your gut, having a lot more plants because the anti-inflammatory potential, stress management. I started meditating again, something I was taught how to do when I was a, a teenager exercise my exercise regime was okay but i wasn't doing enough things like yoga and pilates and things that are actually quite de-stressing and sleep hygiene my sleep was all over the place because i was a junior doctor doing night shifts yeah. for the first time so when i wasn't doing night shifts i made sure that i was optimizing my sleep as much as possible and over the course of a year after doing all these different things i came off my medications i no longer needed to have an ablation procedure and my episodes went from two to three times a week to zero and everything I've done since that period of time and and starting the doctor's kitchen has been me trying to figure out how on earth that's possible and why that happened and I started having more open honest conversations with patients about how they can improve their own health with food and lifestyle changes and and here we are (laughs) it's fascinating you saying that because actually it really that's just sort of dropped a, like a penny dropping because my mother's came on when my dad was ill. And she was all about making him the right food and that, but mm. her own care really mm. slipped. So I, I can totally see, I've always seen a connection, mm. but sometimes you don't know what it is, but that would make sense. You know, it's when, you know, she was all about him, but I know she wasn't, she, you know, she was pouring all the vitamin D and everything into his diet. Yeah. But I think she lived on granola. She used to say to me, she lived on granola and yogurts and a cup of coffee yeah. in the morning in order to. So I sort of I, I get it. And I think I get it more and more. And I do believe, actually, that doctors are much more progressive yeah. than they than they ever were before. I feel like. You know, they, they have a much bigger, you know, even even more traditional doctors are still sort of now going, well, what about your diet? I feel like it is mm. creeping into the medical system much more than it ever was before. Do you feel that? I definitely feel that. I, I 100% see that. I think it's more people who can explain the science behind why we see these on a daily basis. I think we have we've started to develop a more open culture that's inclusive of things that we can't quite explain i think the internet and social media and and voices uh, around this subject matter have kind of opened the floodgates for people to be more questioning and i think quite frankly more doctors have got sick themselves um i know one of my best friends uh, and colleagues he was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes uh, a couple of years ago and the first thing he thought about was changing his diet and lifestyle a lot more aggressively than perhaps he would have advised five years prior to patients because he knows what the trajectory is. You start on agent one and then you add another agent and you add another one more. And then all of a sudden you're on insulin and all of a sudden you're at more risk of cardiac uh, events, uh, infections, you name it, dementia, everything kind of crumbles. So this realization that we are soon to become patients ourselves, unless we get to the root cause of issues I think that's been quite scary. And I think that's that's kind of opened the floodgates for more doctors being inclusive and open about these other uh, avenues. Yeah, and I feel like COVID, it made one realize that without health, I mean, health is wealth. Like, like, like you know, COVID showed that actually 
wherever you were, whoever you were, it didn't, it didn't matter. COVID could get anybody. It can mm. get anybody. And that actually our health is the most important thing because without it, we can't do anything. So we do really need to take care of it. I'm not saying we can avoid getting it or that people that got COVID would have not got it if they'd have been this, that, and the other, because it was clearly such a contagious, virulent mm. disease. But but it did make me go, wow, we have to preserve our own little machines. Like we've got, mm. because people couldn't get to doctors, people couldn't, you know, do things like that. So you were sort of doing these extraordinary Zoom calls with, with it's sort of, it was such a bizarre year on that, that yeah. front. If, if you actually did speak to a doctor, you're speaking to them on Zoom and going, I've got a pain here, sort of pointing to something and, and doing more home remedies. I mean, I made myself laugh because I, in the beginning, I suddenly read somewhere that, oil of oregano was an amazing antiviral thing. So I thought, well, you know what I'm going to do is I'm going to gargle with it in hot water every single night because that will protect me. When I go out food shopping, I'd got this, and as you know, and can probably tell, I'm not remotely medical, but I had this vision in my head from a piece of information that I'd seen on social media. I suddenly got the worst mouth ulcers. <laughs> and I kept thinking, that's so bizarre. Like, what am I eating? I don't even eat that much. It went on. My mouth was becoming agony. And I finally zoomed with my GP and she's like, what are you doing that's different? Are you eating like loads of lemons? I'm like, no, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I said, I'm doing all the right things. I gargle with pure oregano oil every <laughs> single night. And she went, oh my God. She went, who told you to do that? I was like, well, that would be me. She was like, <laughs> I don't think that's, it is good for you, but maybe not in that capacity. Cause I think we all started getting into that home remedy yeah. Yeah, big time. Definitely. Like I was all about the home remedy. I was like, I can totally take on this. I literally gave myself the worst mouth ulcers I've oh, ever seen word. in my life. Oh God, you poor thing. Yeah, no, you know, a lot of people, especially, especially in a desperate state were like, well, what can I do? If I can't get through to my doctor and there's no cure and there's no vaccine, like I'm just going to start doing ginger yes. shots through my eye every day you know i boiled ginger root and turmeric root like every day and drank that as a tea so i, I could barely face it and i i don't really know that that did anything probably just gave me acid reflux to be fair i i, I my mum um definitely did that a lot and uh, <laughs> I mean, we do that anyway though that's the thing like we're, we're covid or not we would i know but i think i think at that. home we all I felt this huge, you know, I had my grown up kids back home, which they both said, mum, care for what you wish for. Because I always used to say yeah. to them, we really, our only time since they left home was two weeks over Christmas was when we were all in the same roof. And I always used to say to my husband at Christmas, oh my God, that's the time I can switch off my phone. I don't have to worry where anybody is. It's like the, I get the most amazing sleep. And yeah. suddenly I had them home, both of them. And they were like, mum, care for what you wish for. Because now we're both home, like fully grown up. Yeah. And I took it on like this mission, like I will keep the family healthy. Like I will yeah. boil roots and, and we'll drink this and we'll have spoonfuls of honey and we're going to have bee pollen sprinkled on everything. Yeah. And I did that. Some of it was good. Whether any of it did anything, I, I won't know. But but yeah. I think we all got a little bit carried away with what we were seeing. Definitely, definitely. I can totally attest to that. However, your cookbooks have been as I say, a prized possession in my kitchen because they're they're really joyful. You, you you show how joyful cooking is. They're super colorful. They're and I love the fact it's not about denying yourself the good things. It's just really good, lovely cooking. And so I, I highly 
recommend them to anybody else because it's it's a real exploration into some, some things that I hadn't tried and some things that I had and making food just a really lovely event thrilled you're doing more books and yeah, of course yeah. the third one out <laughs> ready for this new year which is called three two one three two one yeah three two one which is three portions of fruit and vegetables per person two servings yeah. per recipe and only using one pan so everything oh my is god that's my dream <laughs> yeah so it's literally streamlined <laughs> recipes so you can make stews casseroles tray bakes curries stir fries everything is all concentrated around streamlining that cooking process so it's easy to make sure you're getting fruit and vegetables at every meal time whether you're vegan vegetarian or you eat meat there's there's something for everyone and you know the simplest thing I, the simplest thing that i could convince people to do to look after their health is to increase fruit and vegetable consumption. That is singularly the, yeah. the one thing across the board, regardless of what people are going through. That's the single best thing I could advise. And that's why I created a whole cookbook around that concept. So that's yeah. Brilliant. But also the one <laughs> pot thing is such a I love anything cooked in one pot. Yeah. Anything that I can throw in one pot, I'm like, yes. Because I, I reached such a sad level of counting how many times I'd unloaded the dishwasher. In, yeah. And I thought, this is getting really bad during COVID. I was like, is this my 498th time that I've done done this? So a one pot situation for me is like, yeah. Brilliant. Love yeah. that. Oh, I just so love chatting to you today. Thank you so much because you're so, you know, full of amazing advice. And, and I think, you're, as I say, your books are great. Three, two, one, the new one. I really, you know, must get that as well. The one pot solution to everything but you know keep going and I'm glad you're fit and healthy for 2021 after <laughs> having going through what must have been just a really harrowing year because I hats off to everybody in the medical profession uh, yourself included because not that we didn't appreciate everybody before but I think mm. it gave everybody a new level of complete and utter appreciation for the hard work that doctors do so I applaud you on that because no, I appreciate that, Emma. nobody could have got through it without all of you guys and your you know TLC at times when people there are photographs of people you know being with people that are dying when nobody else could be near them and I just think mm. wow that must have been a challenge and a half frankly yeah yeah it was challenging we got through it I think it's been amazing for camaraderie generally uh, in the in the nhs and globally actually i would say because especially using social media as a tool and seeing what other people are up to the fact that the whole world was going through it at the same time was really weirdly comforting in a way to to people who are on the front line so yeah it was a trying period um we're not completely out the woods but it's um hopefully good times ahead so before we go, I just need to quickly ask you, what gives you life? What gives me life? It's a very deep question. Um, it is a deep question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think right now, what gives me life is uh, my mission and my business right now, if I'm, if I'm quite frank. You know, it's the reason why I wake up at five in the morning every day. It's the reason why I am constantly like behind my computer or thinking of ideas, you know, the doctor's kitchen and everything that the platform stands for and the mission statement to help 10 million people eat doctor's kitchen meals every single day. Like this is what gives me life right now. And it's, I'm so committed to this mission and trying to improve people's life using food and lifestyle medicine. That's literally keeping me going. Fantastic. And what feeds your soul? What feeds my soul? 
I have to think about it from a food perspective, and yeah. it's uh, my mum's cooking. <laughs> Yay <laughs> Honestly, for mums! It's, uh, <laughs> it's uh, like what feeds my soul is uh, my mum's parathas. Uh, it's like an Indian bread, which layered, and then there's like you know a, a small sprinkle of butter on top, and it's just like the smell oh. of it cooking, the 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 sight of the kitchen, you know that Sunday brunch feel. I feel like your mum's cooking would feed my soul too. That sounds delicious. <laughs> your mum sounds great. <laughs> Thank you for that. That's fantastic. We'll guide everybody to your podcast, your books, your platform, everything. Thank you so much for joining me today. And hopefully we'll chat again. Definitely. This has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to subscribe. And also, if you've enjoyed this episode, do leave a five-star review and you can find out more by going to buyemma.co.